to be filled up, but how, do I, how does it actually happen? How does God fill you with his, with his spirit? What is, so today what I want to do is I want to help you understand, and we're going to do a lot of study for this. We've got to study the scripture a lot for this today, guys. I want to help you understand how the spirit operates in our life. What is his role? What is the function of the Holy Spirit operating in our life, and for what purpose does he operate? Is it just to have a feel-good service like this, or is there something bigger that he is intending to do through his power at work within you and filling you? What's the purpose? And through understanding that, I think that you can get under it. And I think that maybe we're not getting under it because we just don't understand how he's working and why he's working. So I hope today that, that there will be some dots connected for your faith, man. That there's going to be some light bulbs that come on that you'll be able to um, operate in the Holy Spirit like it's not as mysterious or mystical as you might think uh, that it is from the outside looking in. Like you can get under the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to show you how. Does that sound good, you guys? All right? Okay, so to help us out, we're going we're gonna to look at this church at Corinth. There was two letters written to Corinth in the New Testament, First and Second Corinthians. And let me give you a little bit of context here. The Apostle Paul went to Corinth, and he actually spent three years there, trained and discipled and raised up, you know, leaders. And that's just what he did, kind of as a, as a church planter and an apostle. But Corinth was unique in that it was like a very well-educated, wealthy diverse group of people. It's, it's actually likened a lot to America. A lot of people liken Corinth to the United States of America just because of the, the nature, the center of commerce and, and what was kind of operating at their time and how they were the center of it. Corinth was the center of basically the world at that time. In fact, there was the, the main Greek god. Like, I mean, you ever study Greek mythology? Anyone remember Greek? Like we study that in school and we can't study Christianity. This is weird to me. Anyways, he's... Um, do you remember the Greek god Aphrodite? You ever heard of that god, Aphrodite? She's, she's the goddess of love, the goddess of love. She was the primary god they worshiped at Corinth in her temple, like her main temple of worship for Aphrodite was at Corinth. And so, but she, she by the way, was not the goddess of love. She was the demon of sex and lust, okay? And that's, that's who she was. There was temple prostitutes that were there. And so that's, and, and the reason why Corinth is likened a lot to the United States of America is because we have a lot of similarities with them, not just in the diversity and, and, the, and the success of it and the education or the information age that we live in, but because of the lust that is so prevalent. Because Aphrodite, she just, she's still, she's still around, okay? That demon is still here. She just, she went global, okay, is what she did. She don't have like a temple. What she did is she can access from your phone. And, and so that God of lust and sex, and that's why porn is the biggest industry in the world, okay? Especially in our country and in America. And so, so you just need to know this context because here they are, for, and we're gonna talk about First and Second Corinthians and this church at Corinth a little bit more next week. But at this church of Corinth, they had like, they were very gifted. They, they had a lot of the power gifts, these demonstrative gifts. They had the gift of prophecy operating. You had prophets in their church and prophesying and tongues. And there were signs that were being done. And, and, and yet, just because you, ha you have spiritual gifting does not mean you have spiritual maturity. And so, so you need to be careful at what you look at. You go, wow, that person is, they might have the gift of teaching or preaching or worship, or they might have an anointing to do it, but it doesn't mean they have maturity. 
And this is where, this is where the, the Corinthian church was. They had, they had powerful demonstrative gifts, but they were not mature in the things of God. So, they're not, so I'm going to show you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what the Apostle Paul, writing to, these are people that he kind of raised up, a lot of them at least, okay? He said, the, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but he considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because, check this out, they are discerned only through the Spirit. So what he's saying is that there are things, look, that God actually wants to get to you. He wants to reveal to you. He wants to show you and, and impart wisdom into your life, but it's only discerned and received through the Spirit of God. Like it's only, you can't get this from your intellect or from your studiousness or from nothing else. There are things that God wants to get to you that you can only receive through the Spirit. A couple verses later in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just a few verses later, he says this, brothers and sisters, I could not address you like when I was with you as people who live by the Spirit. We're going to talk about that today. How do you live? by the Spirit. Paul says, I couldn't address you as those who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Now, let me explain something to you. There are three types of people that Paul writes to and addresses in the church at Corinth. Spiritual, unspiritual, and the worldly. Three types of people. The unspiritual people that do not have God, they cannot discern the things of God. They're, uh, they're separated from Christ. And then there are the spiritually people who live by the Spirit. And then somewhere in the middle of that are these worldly people. Worldly. These are believers, but in some of your Bibles, it actually says the word, word carnal. Okay? You ever had like, think, you ever had like chili con carne? I'll say it right. Chili con carne. Okay? You ever had some carne asada? This is, he's talking to Christian con carne. That's, who, that's what that means, a worldly, a worldly person, that carnal person is a Christian that's con carne, man. He's just, he's got a lot of flesh operating. He might know God and he has the indwelling of the spirit, but he's operating by the carne, the flesh, the meat. Literally like what it means, the, the word worldly are carnal. And it's really cool when you look at what the original translation here, the Greek that it was written in. I told you last week that spirit means pneuma, which is the breath of God. So when you look at this verse, when he says, I couldn't address you as those who live by the spirit, um, worldly are carnal, it means like to be of meat or literally to have the breath coming from a meat creature. That's literally what it means. It's, so it's carnal. We share the carnal nature with animals. We are carnal. We have meat and breath. We are of meat and have breath. And so what he's literally saying here is, I couldn't address you as those who have the spirit of God and the breath of God because you have the breath of meat and humans. So you're operating by your own, your own breath when you have access to heaven's breath. That's what he's saying here. So he says, you're worldly, you're mere infants, and I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for that, man. You weren't ready for me to give you those meaty things. Indeed, he says, years later, you're still not ready for the deeper things of God. You're still carnal or worldly. And for since, and he points out a few things that kind of show or reveal that they're carnal, he says, since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, doesn't that show that you're carnal? You're operating in your carnal nature as a worldly, you, you're, you're a Christian con carne because there's quarreling 
and jealousy among you. Are you not acting like, and I love he says this, mere humans? Have you ever said that or heard someone say, you know, I'm just human? I'm just human. Did you know that you were never intended to just be a human? That you were never intended to just live by your human strength and your own human breath, but God wants you to live and has always intended that this faith thing, this Christianity thing would not be done in our own power, in our own strength, in our own breath, in our own humanity, but that there would be a supernatural presence and person and power that we could actually live, breathe, and walk by. It wasn't, it wasn't intended. We were not intended to do this alone. We were intended to do it by his spirit. So here's the question today. Are you living by the spirit? Are you living by the breath of God? What, is that, what does that mean? What does that mean to live by the breath of God, by the spirit of God? I told you last week about being filled with the spirit. There's actually several other. I'm going to give you three other ways that you can walk in the Spirit or, the, or that you can live by the Spirit, three ways that the Bible talks about that you can, other than being filled with the Spirit. Write these down for me. The first thing you could do, you can quench the Spirit. That's how you can operate in the Spirit. You could quench the Spirit, which is to resist the Spirit's direction. Now, how many of you agree that Christianity is, it feels like Christianity is being like attacked on all directions, right? Political, cultural, education, like from every direction, like there is a threat to our faith, but I believe that the greatest threat to Christianity is not external sources, it's through internal powerlessness. That's the threat because there is no weapon formed against us that shall prosper. There is nothing out there that the enemy has that could ever touch or, or hinder the work of God. The way the work of God is hindered is us trying to do it in our own strength. It's by us quenching the spirit. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it says very plainly, do not quench the spirit. Now, this is one of those catch-up verses. You know what a catch-up verse is? It's, it's a verse of the Bible that people try to apply on everything. You know what I mean? Anyone know like ketchup? You know what I mean? Some people put ketchup on everything that they should not put it on. Eggs and mac and cheese and like, you people are weird, man. It was just this, I love you, but that's just so weird. I've seen people put it on like a chocolate before. Ketchup on chocolate, a brownie or a cake or something. It's just like, so the, like, like this is one of those ketchup verses that people try to put everywhere, especially like in, in a space like this, where we're worship gathering, like in a, in a worship gathering, people are like, well, don't quench the spirit. That's not what he's talking about. To quench the spirit was not like a public gathering thing. It is a personal leading where God is leading you, and it literally is to extinguish a fire is what it means is there is a fire moving you, burning in you. There is a, a tug like we talked about. There is a, a pull that you, that you resist, that you quench. You put a lid on it. You extinguish the leadership of God and the nudges of God. We extinguish the fire that he's put inside of us. Okay, you can quench the spirit. Here's another way you can operate in the spirit. You can also grieve the spirit. So in grieving the spirit, it's a little bit different because in that you're doing what the Spirit warns you not to do. So you're not just resisting the, the direction, like you're resisting the warning of the Spirit. How many of you ever got a check inside of you that not to send that text message and you sent it anyway? Anyone? Email or, or say or do, and you had a check, but you just did it anyway. That was when you did that, when you bypassed the warning of the Holy Spirit, that is 
a grieving of the spirit where, where you slept with that person anyway, you smoked it anyway, you drank it anyway, you did whatever it was that he said. And then after that thing, if you have the spirit of God, here's, look, every one of us, we all grieve in different ways and we, we're hoping not to, I'll tell you how. But after we grieve the Holy Spirit, there's an internal sadness in you, isn't there? You feel like a brokenness. You feel, you feel sad. There's a, there's a grief of that indwelling Holy Spirit in you that is saddened, that is grieved. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, so we can quench the Spirit, we can grieve the Spirit, but here's the one we're gonna kind of talk about today, to walk in the Spirit. You can walk in the Spirit, which is you can follow the leading of the Spirit. This is what it means to be led by the Spirit or to live by the Spirit. It's walking in submission to the Spirit's will by surrendering to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life. And when we do that, when we allow the Spirit to lead us, the Holy Spirit shapes our life. Okay? Here's what Galatians chapter 5, 16 says. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And this is the secret to actually not gratify the desires of, there's that carnal word. That, this is the secret that you won't gratify the carnality part of you, that meatbag part of you that has desires and appetites. When you walk and live by the Spirit, you'll extinguish the carnal instead of extinguish the fire. Okay? As followers of Jesus, you can, do, you can, either, you can either walk by the Spirit or you can, you can walk by the natural tendencies of the, car, the flesh. There's no one between there, you guys. You're either walking in the spirit or you're giving into the appetite of the flesh, all right? So what does it look like? What is, for what purpose does, do, does the purpose of the Holy Spirit to fill us or to be led by the spirit? Why does he want us to, to submit to his leadership or even to be filled by him? There's three primary purposes. And this is where I think we get, we get it mixed up a little bit because we see these gifts and we see these powerful things that people are doing. And, or maybe you get experiences like this and you're like, yes, I want to be filled up, but, but you don't have a why. Like why, why, why? What's your why to be filled up? Biblically, there's three primary reasons why the Holy Spirit actually wants to fill you. Okay, and when you know this, you can actually start cooperating with the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Okay, so let me give them to you. Here's three of them. Number one, one of the primary now, the primary ways that, that God wants, why he wants to lead you and why he wants to fill you, so you will be his witness. So that you will be his witness. And I got a core conviction. A lot of people make being filled by the Spirit, they make it, they, they honestly divide over one big thing. They make it one thing, speaking in tongues. That's what being filled by the Spirit is. It's, it's speaking in tongues, and, and I'm, and I believe that the enemy has been at work at that to make you uh, focus on things that you were never intended even to focus on. Like, that's not what this thing is about. When the early church received the fullness of the Spirit and they were immersed in the Spirit and they got under the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they didn't have a feel-good service. They preached and 3,000 people got saved. That's what the church is supposed to be about, you guys. It's about souls, it's about people. It's not about ourselves. God intended to empower us to complete his mission to change the world, to be a witness. It is the primary reason why God fills you with the spirit. Let's look at Acts 1.8. You will receive, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Not to just live a good Christian life, but to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Look, Jesus didn't accomplish everything when he was here on the earth. 
and he did it on purpose. Jesus didn't accomplish everything so that you could accomplish nothing. He gave us a mission. The purpose of the church is not about us. The purpose of the church is to organize ourselves in such a way that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach people and make disciples. That's why he wants to fill you with his spirit, which leads to the second reason, like the second purpose. Not only does he want you to be a witness, if you are filled by the spirit, you will make disciples. This is, you will make disciples if you are mature in the spirit. So here's, here's why I hear people saying. People will say like, like um, I don't, you know, I just given up on church and churches. I like meat, pastor. I like the meat thing. I just, church is too watered down for me. I like the meat of the word. And I meet people all the time when I'm out in the community and stuff. And people that just give it up on church, they go to, and maybe they come from a, a lot of times a, a background of church that was just really charismatic or something like that. And something didn't, and they're just like, ah, just like, I just don't, oh, I like me some, I like me some meat. I just get, here's, and they think they're so mature, so mature because you chew on me. You know what the real sign of maturity is? Is you got some disciples that you've made that follow after you. That is, if you have not made disciples, you are an infant in Christ. Period. You, you, might have, you might have a good, you might have knowledge and spiritual gifting, like the Corinthian church had a lot of knowledge, had a lot of spiritual gifting. Good for you, you have that. But if you are not being a witness and producing disciples, if no, if no men of God are coming out from you, if no women of God are coming out from you, then you are a mere infant in the things of God. Okay? So, so this is what this is the this is the reason why he wants to fill you with his spirit. This was this is the reasons that you would be a witness and that you would make disciples. That we've not just been assigned to hang out until he returns. He's given us a message and a power, a message and a power. Matthew twenty eight. Jesus tells us in verse nineteen and twenty. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That wasn't just for a select few. That's to all of his disciples. The mature disciples will make disciples. The spirit-filled disciples will make disciples. Look, some of you have been around Christianity for so long, you need to be, you need to be discipling people already. You should be small group leaders. You should be team leaders. Yet you're puffing yourself up like the Corinthian church, acting like you have so much knowledge and you have nothing. You are a baby. You've, produ you've produced, like, like babies cannot reproduce. And mature disciples reproduce. Just like mature humans are able to reproduce. He says, look, go do this. This is what I want you to do. Not have great services and fill yourself up with great knowledge and operate and anointing and stuff. No, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then I want you to teach these new disciples something. You got it in you. Some of you got it in you. You have the word in you. You're just not producing anything. There ain't no disciples that you've made. There's no one you're pouring into. You're not giving. He said, teach them. What I gave you, teach them. Teach these new disciples to obey all my commands that I've given you. And here it is. He says, be sure of this. I will be with you. I'm with you to the end of the age. Like I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father, but my spirit will be with you. When you operate this way, when you go and make disciples, I, my spirit is with you, making disciples with you. Okay? So if you are filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, what's the purpose? What's the reason? What does God want? He wants you to be a witness. He wants you to make disciples. Here's the third thing kind of encompasses it all, really. It comes, like if you are led by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. 
I don't care what you've been taught. I'll do this. I'll speak in tongues. I'll prophesy. I'll do this anointing. No, 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 no. Here's, here's what will happen when you are mature and you're filled with the Spirit of God. You're going to bear fruit. That's what's going to happen, okay? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says this, that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Here's what he does. He's going to, wouldn't this be great? Don't you want this stuff? Every one of us wants this. Look, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Holy Spirit is operating in our life when we're full. We're going to be full of love, full of joy, full of patience, and full of peace. Now look, not conjuring it up ourselves. When we're led by him and walking in him, he is producing this fruit in our life. Not in your notes, but in John chapter 15, there's a whole chapter that Jesus talked about being connected to the vine. Do you remember this chapter, you guys, and abiding in the vine? He said that if there is a branch that does not bear fruit, I cut it off and throw it into the fire. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, that, that one's in your notes and up here, Jesus says, look, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. These Corinthians, I get it. These like maybe you have this great teaching ability, you got this great prophet, or whatever it is. This you got great knowledge. You can show me your fruit. Show me your fruit, Jesus said. In fact, if you go read the rest of Matthew chapter seven, he goes on to say, after verse twenty, he said, a lot of people are going to come to me on the last day, and they're going to say, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons and do miracles just like the Corinthian church did? Did and Jesus says, not everyone who said to me, Lord, Lord, will be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. So when you are filled with his spirit and led by his spirit, you're going to be a witness. This is, what, this is why the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to be a witness, to make disciples, and to bear fruit. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says this, for those who are led by the spirit of God, that's what makes them a child of, a child of God, that they're submitting to the leadership of, of the Holy Spirit in their life. That's what makes them a child of of God, okay? So um, towards the end of Jesus' life, he started for three chapters, actually, John 14, 15, and 16. He started teaching the disciples very heavily focused on the Holy Spirit. And you can imagine why. He's gonna leave. And he's, this, is the, this is the Holy Spirit that I'm leaving to empower and to feel. And to, 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 so he wants to educate his disciples on who the Holy Spirit is. And so what I've, what, I, what I've done with the second part of this message to help you out, I, I'm, I'm going to show you what Jesus actually taught his disciples, who the Holy Spirit is, and how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives. I think that if you knew what the role of the Holy Spirit was, of how he intentionally and specifically wants to operate in your life, then you'd actually invite him into those spaces. Remember when I filled that little picture last week? I filled this picture up. So it's like, how does that picture, picture get full? How do we get full of the Spirit? And I think... Sometimes it's like, I don't know, fill me. I don't know, just fill me. That's how, fill me. No, actually, when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life to do what God, to do what he was created to do, that's how you fill your cup. It's not just in a worship experience or in a moment where you say, I just, I don't know, fill me because I want you. No, you actually invite him to do what he is called to do in your life. And as you do that, and as you submit to him in that, he fills your cup. So um, here's, and I wrote it like this. There's five things Jesus told, Jesus told the disciples that he educated them on the Holy Spirit, five ways that the Holy Spirit intentionally operates in your life. I wrote it as prayers for you to start praying, and we're gonna practice this today, 
to pray for the Holy Spirit and invite the Holy Spirit to operate this way in your life, okay? And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to do this so that I will be a witness for your glory, so that I will make disciples for your glory, so that I will bear fruit for your glory. Don't forget the purpose. Don't forget the why that we're seeking God, that we're putting ourselves under the submission and the spout of heaven. God, I want to be full of your spirit and be led by your spirit so that I will be a witness, so that I'll bear fruit for you. When I, when I don't feel like having joy and it's not going good, God, I want to bear the fruit of joy. I want to bear the fruit of patience. I want to bear the fruit of self-control when I don't feel like I have it in myself. God, fill me so I'll... I'll, I'll bear fruit of self-control for your glory. Okay? So five ways that you can invite him specifically, the Holy Spirit, into your life, submit to his leadership, and start to let him fill your cup. Okay? Here's John chapter 14. We're going to start there. Three chapters Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit. Okay? John chapter 14. Start verse 16 here. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Some of your translations may have like advocate or other words for that word comforter. The Greek word is parakletos. And it literally means to walk alongside. And, and this word parakletos is used in, in literature where, where it, the picture is this. You take one end of a log and the parakletos, what they do is they come and pick up the other end of the log and they walk with you. This is, this is that picture of the Holy Spirit. What he was intended to do was, was help you carry the, the load and walk alongside you. That is the comforter, the Holy Spirit. So write it down like this. Holy Spirit, comfort me. Comfort me. This is, this is his operation. Now you, so the question is this. Where are you going for your comfort? Where do you go to when you're stressed or when you're anxious? What is bringing you false comfort in your life? Do you go to that food? Do you go to, a lot of, a lot of people go to porn for false comfort. They get stressed and they'll, they'll alleviate it with, with an addiction of some kind. Do you go to that relationship to give you comfort? Where do you go? And listen to me, when you start to invite the Holy Spirit to operate in the way he was intended to operate in your life as the comforter, walking alongside your stress season, your pain season, your crisis season, and you don't go to, you, this, is, this is what is, is quenching the Spirit. You quench the spirit when you go to false areas for comfort. When you go to that person, when you go to that food, when you go to that, that habit, you try to get comfort somewhere else, you're quenching the spirit. But when you say, Holy Spirit, okay, I'm not feeling it. I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm anxious. Holy Spirit, comfort me. How many have a comforter on your bed? Do you know what a comforter on your... So when, when I first got married, I was a young kid, didn't know much about, you know, the good things of life. My wife had to educate me on the good things, okay? I only knew the bedspread. You know there's a difference between a bedspread and a comforter, okay? The bedspread is a thin thing, and then the comforter, and my, my wife asked, she said, honey, can I, go, can I go purchase a duvet? I'm like, we don't need that. I thought, I was thinking the toilet thing. And then she said, you know what I mean? That's not, it's the, it's the thing that the comforter goes in, and, and, and I'm like, she educated me. No, 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 this is what it is. And I'm like, cool, okay, sure. I'm thinking Walmart, $49.95. It was not $49.95, okay? <laughs> this is, some of you know what I'm talking about. So when she buys that thing, she brings it home, and I'm looking at the bed, and it's this thick thing, man. And I'm like, woo, I can't wait to go to bed tonight. That looks, that's going to be good to get up in that thing. But when I came to the bedroom that night, how many ladies are already laughing because you already know, the comforter wasn't on the bed. It was removed. 
And the guys in the room are going like, oh, why was it removed, right? Like, we're clueless. And so I asked her the same thing. I'm like, honey, where'd the comforter go? I'm like excited to get in that. And she's like, oh, honey, you, it's for looks, not for use. I'm like, what? you spent what for looks? It's, it looks comfortable. That's what it looked like. So I have come to find out that there's a lot of things in my home that exist for looks, not for use. There's, I have towels in my house that just hang there, and they are not for touching or for use. They're to just be a decorative thing there, this towel. I learned the hard way with that, too. I got out of the shower, and they didn't have no towel, and so I grabbed this thing off the rack, and I'm drying off, and my wife, she's me. She's like, what in the world are you doing? I'm like, um, I don't know. I thought I was drying off. I, apparently, I've done something terrible. And, but here's, here's what I think. I think that like that statement, it's for looks, not for use. I wonder how many of us have a comforter in our life that's for looks and not for use. How many of us like the Holy Spirit in our life, in our doxology, in the preaching, in the Bible, but he's not for use in your life. He exists just for like the look of it. Just the, and, and I think that the Holy Spirit's intention, listen to me, was always to come alongside you, not to just exist in a feel-good service, but to pick the weight up, pick the other end up, and walk alongside you. John chapter 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled are afraid. Now look, it's going to happen. We're going to get, life is going to happen, but where do you go to? Every time you invite the Holy Spirit to comfort you when you're troubled, when you're experiencing fear, when you're experiencing anxiety, you are filling your cup. You're getting under the outpouring of the Spirit that is already in operation. Holy Spirit, comfort me. John chapter 14, he continues. Let's look at the second time he talks about the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, Jesus says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. You know, that's the, the role of the Holy Spirit. Not, not, like I'm not the teacher. I might teach, but the teacher is the Holy Spirit. So write it down like this. Holy Spirit, teach me. So I, 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 I tell people this all the time. Like my, when you open up the, the word of God, when you open up the word, don't just go through the motion. Don't just check off the box. Don't just read it. When you come to church, don't just go through the motion. Invite the Holy Spirit to impart. The word is revelation. He is the one who reveals truth to you, that will teach you, that will remind you. Because you can come into this service and experience knowledge or get understanding. But in order to get revelation from the Holy Spirit, you need to be under the, under the spout. Holy Spirit, it's just different. Before you open up your, your Bible, it's just different when you go, Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to me. Teach me. Before, I, I don't want to just read. And you know what? When You guys have experienced this. Maybe you read a verse and like you've read it before, but then you read it and you go, oh, and it just hits you different. It's like, oh my gosh. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's when that happens is when the, when the word of God became alive. When the breath of God came on it, when it hits you, when it brought revelation to you, when the part of the message that just, he, that's the Holy Spirit, not me. I cannot impart revelation. I cannot. I can only teach the word and then the, the, the living word does his part of teaching and imparting revelation. Okay? So Holy Spirit, teach me. Teach me your word. Hebrews chapter four tells us that the word of God is living. 
this alive, that it's powerful? Is it in our life? Are we asking the Holy Spirit to anoint, to reveal? It's sharper than any sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom we are accountable. The Bible says that the word of God, when you are reading it, when it's preached, that there is power and is living and powerful. So what do we do? We invite the Holy Spirit teach us. Don't just come into the whole, to a service or into your devotion time without getting under the outpouring of heaven. Holy Spirit, I invite you to teach me in this moment. When you do that, I promise you, he'll start to fill your cup there. Okay? John 15. Let's continue. Jesus, he's, he's given us just an education, a class. His disciples, a class on the Holy Spirit and on who he is. John 15, 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So that's what he's gonna do. He's gonna, he's gonna help you even testify about me. That's the purpose of it. So write it down like this. Number three, Holy Spirit, use me. This is the purpose. Listen, why God wants you to be filled with the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit so that he can use you to be a witness, use you to make disciples, use you to bear fruit in a world that is fruitless. He wants to use you. So that, here's a question you ask yourself here. What opportunities are you seeking? So what opportunities are you seeking? What opportunities are you looking for? Are you looking for the opportunity to be used by God? Are you looking for the opportunity to say, say, God, use me. I, want, I can make a difference there. God, anoint me. Use me in that area. Are you getting under the spout of heaven and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you to use you? I love this scripture, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. This was a... One of the, the verses that inspired me to be used by, by God years ago, when I first gave my life to Christ, I came across this verse, and it just became my verse. Isaiah, before he was ever a prophet, he was just a cursing, loudmouth you know, guy who lived with a whole bunch of other cursing, loudmouth guys. There was nothing special about him at all, yet he had a vision from God. And God said, he says this, then I heard a voice of the Lord, this is Isaiah saying, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Like, I got things that I want to do on earth. I got people I want to bless and teach and, and heal. And, and who's going to do it for us? And Isaiah, this loudmouth, cursing fool, goes, me, here I am. Use me. And he, I don't know, it just inspired me. This, this, this guy who lived like an idiot for 20 years of his life to just go, okay, if God can use him, God, here I am, I'll do it. Use me, send me. And that's been my prayer for the same prayer for years. And I don't think like, well, there's not been much special that I've done, to be honest. There isn't, except I've been praying, God, use me. I, I'm, I'll do it, God. I'll step into that. I'll teach it. I'll lead it. I'll, I'll preach it. I'll, I'll share Jesus with them. You know, just, just I'll, use me. I'm, I'm available. And the only reason why, he, and the only reason why I, there's been like fruit here is because he's poured it into me. Because I invited him to do what the Holy Spirit was supposed to do, was to fill you with power to use you. Holy Spirit, comfort me. Holy, Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, use me. John 16 and 18, Jesus continues his lesson. He says, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So here, let's pray it like this today. Let's pray, Holy Spirit, convict me. 
That's the role of the Holy Spirit. It's not my job. And it's not your job to convict people, make them feel bad, and make them see their wrong and their wrongdoing. Please don't do that. That's not your job, to make people feel bad and see their sin. That's not my job either. That's it. This is the function of the Holy Spirit, to convict. And by the way, God is not preoccupied with your sin. He doesn't have a magnifying glass on your sin. You know why? Because he's already dealt with it. It's, it's, it's already done. Conviction is not, that's not a bad word, you know, to convict. It's actually a beautiful thing. I'll tell you this. Listen to me. The devil, Satan, condemns you. He wants to condemn you. And when you feel the condemnation, uh, it's much different than feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. See, the word convict, it means, it means this, to point you to the way of life. That's what it means. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is to point you to the way of life. Here's the difference. When you do something wrong and you feel the condemnation, uh, it's, it sounds like this. You better hide that. Oh, cover that up. Don't tell nobody about that. You just be quiet. Put a lid on that one. The conviction of the Holy Spirit does this. You'll, you'll feel it. You'll sense it. He's going, he's going, oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't send, you shouldn't send that text. You shouldn't, oh, don't do And then when you do it, he goes, oh, you did it. Oh, man. Here's the way out, though. Here's the way out. Got music coming from my iPad right now. Did you hear that? So there's the conviction and the condemnation. Conviction leads you to the way out. Condemnation pulls you away from God. We've been praying this prayer, Psalm 139, all week in our live stream. I don't know if you guys have, have been on, but it's this prayer. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and me, lead me along the path of a everlasting life. He wants to show you a better way. Who doesn't need that? Who doesn't need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to lead us to the way out? Just recently, I, I actually, I wanted to send like a, a social media post. I typed it out and everything. And then, I, and then I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Anyone ever feel that? Anyone ever get there? And I felt it, and I was like, dang, I know I shouldn't send it. But I, but I, I, I was like, I sh let me show Veronica. She's my Holy Spirit sometimes, you know what I mean? I'm like, maybe, maybe if she says it's okay, I can send So I show it to her, and she says, you better not send that. And I said, woman, you're not the Holy Spirit. No, I'm just kidding. And I'm like, ah, shouldn't. So I delete it and said, that's, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Okay, John 16, 13. Last one. This is the, the fifth time Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit here. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't that be cool to have like, a, a, a guide to tell us like what is even to come. Write it down like this. Holy Spirit, guide me. Who wouldn't want that? Now, Jesus isn't talking about fortune telling. He's not saying like telling you he's gonna tell your future or anything like that. It's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is that, that there is, you can have a guide, like when there's a decision to make about that job or about that promotion, when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life this way, and you say, Holy Spirit, guide me in this. He'll put a witness in you. He'll give you a check in your spirit. He'll give you a peace about the direction. When, when, uh, am I supposed to move and take it or not? Am I supposed to move here? Just, instead of just, just measuring pros and cons, you invite the Holy Spirit to pour into your life. Say, Holy Spirit, I need you to guide me. And he'll put a check. Should I marry this guy? Should I date this person? 
so that if you invite him into those spaces, he will give you peace. And, and listen, you, you'll learn this. You'll learn about the voice of God as you, as you invite him in because you'll make a decision. And after a decision, you probably had this happen where you go, oh man, I felt like I shouldn't do that. I felt like there was something, oh, I should have listened to my gut. Something like that you said, right? Right? Okay, there was, there was, a, there was a check you received, but you're not discerning his voice yet. Now remember, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They follow me. They won't follow a false shepherd. They follow me. So as you, as you invite his leadership, Holy Spirit, guide me, you'll start to discern the voice of the shepherd in your life. You'll start to look back, oh, I had that check. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to listen to that next time. The next time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know what that feels like and what that sounds like in my spirit. And I'll be able to, I'm not going to bypass that. I'm not going to quench that next time. I'm going to listen. I'm going to let, let that lead me next time, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, I love this verse. He says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Isn't that beautiful? Wouldn't you, did you know you can have that? This is the role of the Holy Spirit. And as you invite him intentionally into your life in these five areas, it doesn't need to be mysterious to be filled with and led by the Spirit. It doesn't just happen in a church service like this. It's when you invite the Holy Spirit intentionally into your life in these ways and submit, not quench it, submit to his leadership to comfort, to guide, to convict, to teach, to lead you. And I'm telling you, as you do that, he'll fill your cup. Can I pray that over you with every head bowed, every eye closed in this place? Then we're gonna worship in just a moment, but we just posture our heart before God. God, we thank you for your conviction. We thank you for your guidance. Thank you for the tug of your spirit. Forgive us, God, for quenching it, sometimes even for grieving it, for just bypassing what we knew was not the right thing for us. Today, God, we want to submit to your leadership. We want to submit to you. With every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here today and you're watching and maybe you've never really made that decision where you surrender to the leadership of God. That, that's, that's salvation, man. That's what it is. When you surrender the control, you say, I'm not going to leave my life anymore. I'm going to let you, God. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. That's it. And some of you are feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit right now to surrender, to let him in, let him lead you. And if you respond to that, if you just respond, that he can, he can give you a fresh start today. He can fill you with his spirit today. Start to lead you by his spirit today. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you and you're ready to respond to this, maybe you've experienced this tug before, but you've never really responded to it. Maybe this is a new thing for you. I don't know. Today, I would love for you to respond. Maybe some of you need to respond again. You need to get your life back in order and give it to Jesus again.